0: Hey
1: everybody, welcome back to Round of the Paces. This is Cameron Levy, and this episode is going to be about sports. So for those of you that care about that and about analytics, this will be a fun episode. We're going to be redrafting 2005 MLB Draft. It'll be me and a friend of mine, Jack. I'm really excited for it. I had a lot of good feedback on the last podcast, and I'm really excited about what's going to happen next. Uh, so without further ado, here is Jack Dunn. All right, welcome back to Rounding the Bases. Um, I'm joined now by a good friend of mine. Um, he's a graduate from the University of Richmond. He is a graduate brother from Fiji, uh, my fraternity, and he was also in a cappella with me um, his senior year, my freshman year. And it's Jack Dunn. Jack, what's up, dude? As it going, Cam? Happy
2: to be here. Ready to talk some baseball. It's been a long off season.
1: So Jack is like one of the Baseball people that I actually can talk about baseball with, and I don't. I mean, I don't think you knew too much about analytics. I mean, you don't know that much about analytics, but like you have a general sense of these things, right?
2: Yeah, I understand what they are, but I can't say I'm necessarily a analytics guru. I get better and better, but I find most of the basic analytics, like that first extra push outside of standard stats, to be the most useful in my sort of fandom and analysis.
1: Before we start, I want to tell you something that you probably don't know. I assume you don't know because I feel like I would have heard of it. I would have heard from you about it. Um, starting in February up until spring break.
2: You put this on the podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I want your, I want your, I want your like raw reaction from this.
2: Unfucking real. Oh my god. I'm gonna have to get in the Snapchat lab, make some memes, <laughs> and my God. I'm gonna have a field day, dude. I'm unemployed right now. And you talk about having the time on my hands to have, you know, really make use of that. Yo,
1: have a field day, my guy. Have a field day. <laughs>
2: dude, that is like the most legendary thing I've heard from that group since probably, I don't know, my sophomore year. I cannot <laughs> believe that. That is insane. I'm gonna do that as soon as we're done recording here, man. That is, that is so funny. <laughs> All
1: right, well. We'll jump into the actual, like, content of the show. Um,
2: Sweet.
1: So, for this episode, I wanted to do a redraft of the 2005 draft, and I chose 2005 because I don't really know, I mean, it's, a uh, the players are either, like, retired or at the end of their careers, um, and it felt like that would be a good place to start in terms of, like, having a real full sample size of, like, playing time to go from. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, Yeah, I texted Jack, and uh, I knew Jack would be down for this. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do, like, a snake draft where it's he gets the first pick, I get the second pick. And we're going to talk about the players and uh, talk about the careers a little bit. And, I mean, I know Jack has plenty of commentary on... I mean, I I remember the first time I, like, hung out with Jack is we were playing... or I went to his apartment with his apartment mates, and we were playing a Sporkle, like... um, name like name this player like whatever what was it jack
2: it was uh <clears throat> bob and i were really into Sporkle at the time and we were pretty much doing all sorts of baseball quizzes like members of the five uh the 500 homer club or positional players who led the league in hits and then go year by year all sorts of crazy things that were really digging back into like the depths of your baseball memory
1: right it was like the most random kind of things like Name the 2005 opening day like Colorado Rockies or like random shit like that. Um,
2: Eric Chavez is a big player in those quizzes. Yeah, yo, Shout Chris, out, Eric Chavez.
1: Chris Iannetta really be doing popping up on a lot, <laughs> on a lot of these sporkles. Awesome. Um, who's your first pick? I, I think we had the same first pick, but um, just to be clear, who's your first pick?
2: Yep, so the first overall pick of the 2005 draft I think is very clear. I think only two players from the 2005 draft were ever considered to possibly be the top two or three players of baseball. And uh, Andrew McCutcheon, at one point in his career, was actually considered to be the best player in baseball. He had the highest peak. He won MVP on a team that wasn't necessarily that good. Yes, the Pirates made a run that year. Uh, I'm sure for any Pirates fans out there, that team is legendary to you because it brought October baseball back to Pittsburgh. Um, but he roams center field and he could do it on all sides of the ball. We're talking about a guy who's stealing bags, a guy who's hitting over 20 homers, and an absolute threat in center field with both his glove and his arm. You couldn't find a more well-rounded baseball player from this 2005 draft than Andrew McCutcheon.
1: Yeah, McCutcheon, like, I mean, he's still doing it today, basically. I mean, he tours ACL with the Phillies, um, which sucks, but... He had a, a sixteen point four percent walk rate this year, which was the highest of his career, and it was only in fifty nine games. But still, um, you know, high high walk, pretty low strikeout guy, and he put up over seven wins for three straight seasons and over five for five straight seasons. Um, I mean, it's an easy first pick. He was like in this, for me. I like did I did like did tiers for it, and he was in his <laughs> own tier um, by himself because I mean he was. He was, I mean, you're right, he was considered, like, one of the best players. Like, when he was, when he was the cover of, of uh, the show, yep. um, he was considered to be one of the best. And, I mean, it's interesting because his glove, actually, like, I know I know you said his glove was good, but his defensive numbers, at least recently, have been, like, terrible. Um,
2: yes. He has a little bit of a Starling Marte effect going on where he's slowly losing his edge and becoming a little more of a corner outfielder than he truly is a center fielder.
1: Right. He's definitely not able to roam that much in in the center as much. Yeah. Um, 2018, he had negative 10 outs above average. 2009, really? Yeah, and and that that's a bad number. That's, that's a really shitty number. Um, was that in San Fran? It was. So he had, in San Fran, he had negative 9, and then for the Yankees, he had negative 1. Um, okay, okay. Which isn't, I mean, horrible. But those are really shitty numbers. I mean, it's tough to, I mean, right field, in, uh, right field in San Francisco is tough. Um, yeah, that's, um, <clears throat> I mean, a lot of the
2: guys have been playing there, I you get weird bounces off that McCovey Cove wall. Mm-hmm. The corner is pretty tight. The bullpen over there is tight. It's not a fun area to play right field. And then you got Triples Alley in the corner there, and I'm not sure how that factors in, but there are a lot of balls out there, and that's a tough spot.
1: Yeah, and it can't help that, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it was Kevin, Kevin Pilar was there in 2018. I think he might have been. But, yes. Um, Pilar also kind of has aggressed a little bit as an outfielder, so. Um, I mean is that you know his glove isn't what it used to be um, but he still puts up numbers and I mean the, it's it's just a, it's it's a pretty easy number one pick
2: Yeah I mean at the end of the day you're talking about a guy who has posted over a 400 on base percentage four times in his career you're talking about a guy for three straight years was top 5 in NL MVP voting he was genuinely disgusting for a solid portion of his career and really hasn't been the same since Pittsburgh but if you're looking at a corner veteran presence outfielder on any competitive team, there's no reason why Andrew McCutcheon can't be a productive player for at least a few more years to come. And I mean, he's still only 32.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, you're right. I don't know how the Phillies are gonna. <clears throat> I, mean, I mean, I assume they're gonna be going for a run this year, so they're not gonna need to trade him or anything. But um, he's definitely a valuable asset to have um, on like a Phillies team that doesn't have like a, has a lot of like variability. I feel like to it, like Reese Hoskins could be really good or really bad um um Scott Kingrey could be really good or really bad like you know what you're getting from McCutcheon you know you're going to be getting a guy on base like 37 36 percent of the time so he's definitely a solid to have there
2: absolutely you're getting production from Harper GT they also have question marks of pitching that entire team is really just one big question mark is Aaron Nola actually an ace is Zach Wheeler actually an above average pitcher you know it's like that team um they can easily put together ninety wins but everything clicked, but I just have a tough time seeing a guy like Scott Kingery click while all the other variables that I mentioned and you mentioned clicked, and that's what they would need. But he'll be valuable for them for sure.
1: Yeah. Um, all right, so with the second pick. Um, this guy also had in his own tier. So McCutcheon's in his own tier, and then I have Brian Braun going second. Um, okay. What what uh what was his what team was second? Do you know?
2: Uh the Royals were second. The D backs were first.
1: Okay, so Royals get Braun. Ryan Braun, like, I know he had a lot of issues with the whole steroid thing, and, I mean, that was insane because Aaron Rodgers, like, bet a fan, like, a lot of money that he wasn't on steroids. And, I mean, it seems like people have forgotten about that, but Ryan Braun just, like, consistent. Like, very consistent, solid bat. Um, again, not what it used to be, but last year you put up uh, a 116 OPS+. um and obviously he's not like what he was on his prime, but Ryan Braun, like, when you watch Ryan Braun hit his... I don't know if... Do you feel this way that when you see highlights of him, his bat seems longer than everyone's?
2: It, it, maybe it's his arms. I definitely feel like he has outstanding play coverage, but he's also still just a guy who has the reputation. If he's up in a big spot, even the last couple of years when he's really not... I mean, yes, he played 144 games last year, but he appeared a lot off the bench. He would come in late, stuff like that. Um... He just feels like he can get to, he can get the job done. I'm not a big Ryan Braun fan personally because I did take the uh, cheating thing probably a little worse than others, which is why he was further down my draft board on a personality um, penalty there for him. But I would say without doubt that he was the second best player in this 2005 draft.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, it, it's tough because he won the MVP and then that felt very tainted. I mean, 100% he shouldn't have won the MVP if he was if people knew he was on steroids. And Matt Kemp arguably should have won it anyway. But, I mean, his numbers, again, so the last few years, his ex-WOBA has been pretty consistent around 350, 360. He had a 370 in 2018, which is really good. Um, And ex-WOBA, for those of you that don't know, is basically walks, um, strikeouts, and quality of contact. So he still has a lot of high exit velocity numbers, um, hits the ball really hard. But, you know, still not not the same player. He's 36 now. He's 36.
2: He's 36, and I I foresee him having a job for quite some time. Unless he wants to retire Milwaukee Brewer because he's already spent 13 years there, I could easily see him going to an American League Central team and taking some sort of, you know, kind of a page out of uh, Edwin or Nelson Cruz's book and kind of just finding a nice cushy job for a decent team and being productive at the DH spot.
1: I mean yeah, he would be I don't know how if the Brewers are going to want to trade him. I mean his his glove is still is not good anymore.
2: Um
1: Correct. -8 outs above average in left field last year and that was that's a really bad number. his his like percentages in terms of um on a rate basis was -4 um which is not good. So his I mean his defense isn't there. He's under contract for uh a while he signed
2: through 2020,
1: 2020, and he's a mutual option in 2021 for 15 million. So I doubt he gets that. Um,
2: yeah, I would say that'd be surprising, but I also wouldn't be surprised for them to bring him back or a him more veteran friendly deal, I guess.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I think they could just bring him back for like a two year, or something like eight million, ten million a year. Um, I mean, again, model of consistency, though, like still put up really good hitting numbers for. The majority of his career um and a guy who I mean I love watching him just swing I mean the way his I, I can't get over the way his bat looks when he swings it's so long and I like try and understand like same thing with DJ LeMahieu DJ LeMahieu when he swings his bat just looks longer and I don't understand how but um his war numbers were great at the beginning of his career a lot worse recently but he was definitely the second best player in this draft
2: without a doubt and he um I would say I mean, obviously he was an MVP and he was MVP over some of the other players in this draft, so yes, he had the second highest peak, but I think he re- he lived out to his career potential pretty much, I would say. yes, the injury in 2013 derailed him a little bit and he was never able to fully put together, but he put together a nice a very nice career that you know really no major leaguer would ever be ashamed of.
1: Um, Christian Yelich or Ryan Braun in their primes.
2: I don't understand where all Christian Yelich's power came from. I remember watching him in Florida. I remember when he was on the block, I was like, the Mets should trade the farm for this guy, but I never thought he would be Christian Yelich good the way that he is now. And, you know, even if you ask me this question in, like, six years, I might have to go Ryan Braun just because, one, we're missing arguably one of the better prime years of Christian Yelich's, you know, career right now. And he might not be able to come back from something like that. You never know. Um, I think Braun was more established, I think Ryan Braun, with the help of Prince Fielder, Ben Sheets, some of the other names that used to be around there, Craig Council was on those teams. They made playoff runs, um, and they more or less gave the Brewers their first decent reputation for baseball since like the mid-'80s. They kind of revived that baseball team, which I I guess it's it's probably really bold considering Christian Yelch's peak is better than Ryan Braun's peak to say, I'll take Ryan Braun. Especially since Christian Yelich can be good for another seven years at this level, or something crazy like that. But for now, uh, I'll take I'll take Ryan Braun, wow. and I'm not rooting for Christian Yelich to uh, old takes expose me here. But if he does, good on him.
1: I'm, I actually would take Yelich in a heartbeat. I think his his I mean his bat the last year and a half has been basically the best in baseball. Maybe sans Mike Trout, not even. Um, but I'll take Yelich anyway. Um, all right, third pick. Jack, who you got?
2: Alright, so with the third pick here, you know, I, I had a pretty tough time here on my board between two and three. It was more of a question of longevity as opposed to peak. Right. For who I was picking here. And I decided I am gonna go with longevity over peak. So I'm going to pick Ryan Zimmerman with oh. the third pick in the two thousand five draft.
1: Alright, Ryan Zimmerman. That's um I I will say this. He was One, two, three, four, five. He was sixth on my board, actually. Um, Okay. And the reason I had him sixth was because he was a first baseman who peaked. I'm I'm not going to name who I think you had after him, but I feel like he peaked for a few years there. And then because he's at first base, he doesn't provide really any defensive value. And there were, like, at the time, like, in his peak, there were probably, like, three or four better first basemen than him.
2: Right, so when I think of his peak, I think of what I was watching live in the moment, which was him and David Wright in the NL East playing one hell of a third base every single day, day in and day out, making outstanding plays, hitting 25 homers, driving in 85-plus leg runs every single year. And uh, remembering him when he first came up, he came up actually the year of the draft, he made his debut, so he was drafted in June, and he... Debuted late that year as a September call-up He only had a cup of tea there But then he came in the next year And I mean, he was second rookie of the year voting He played 162 games the next season And he is the franchise for the Washington Nationals So although his peripheral numbers In terms of you know uh, wins above replacement For a lot of these other guys You look at a career like Ryan Zimmerman He brought the worst first World Series to the town um, He's 34, played 15 years now He probably has another two or three years there I watch so much NLE's baseball that he's just one of the childhood greats of mine, to be honest with you, even though his stats, his accumulative stats don't really show that, I guess, because he's only got 1,700 hits. He's only hitting 280. He's not putting up you know, Hall of Fame numbers per se. But prior to his career, which kind of derailed in like a, a PG-13 version of uh, David Wright's, in terms of he's actually still able to get on the field and produce a little bit, in his prime he was absolutely lethal
1: yeah he was I mean he put up 28 home runs 24 14 33 25 12 25 26 so he was consistent for sure and I actually did not realize that I totally forgot that he was a third baseman like I I blocked that out of my memory um, he was
2: a gold Glover too he was yeah. you know he was one of the best third basemen out there he, when he was actually young and spry
1: he was spent fan- I mean he had 18 defensive runs saved in 2007 yeah. he had 22 in, in 20 2009 and 11 in 2011, and then I guess he got hurt or something around 2011 because he was hurt. And just, his innings were down that inning that year. Um, yeah. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, those are really good numbers. Um, still, though, his his war numbers were not great. So you're right. He had 4.7 in 2007, and then he had a 7-win year, a 16-win year. And then after that, he didn't have another season above 4. Um and five is seen as, like, the all-star standard, so he really only had three all-star-worthy seasons. And I had him lower on my list because the first base period of his career really just derailed him, like, in terms of value. 38 total wins above replacement on on, um, on baseball reference and 38 on fan graphs. And some of the other guys on my list were either right around there or they were, like, very consistently good for a longer time. So... Zimmerman put up really sh- like shitty numbers in terms of value for basically since 2014. He had one good year since 2014, and
2: so he had quite the resurgence in 2017, which was wild to watch. But then again, in 2017, that entire team was really good out of nowhere.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. He
2: was uh, hitting around some dangerous ball players there. Mm-hmm. That's uh, Harper was still there. Daniel Murphy was there, and I think he led the o- I think he led the league in OPS in either 2016 or 2017. I mean, he had some pretty dangerous players in that lineup, and he was seeing, I'm sure, some pretty great pitches, which probably helped quite a bit. Yeah, I definitely had him in my mind as a third baseman when I put him here, just because that's how he stuck out in my mind. If I was to have thought of him as a first baseman, he definitely would have been significantly lower down my draft board.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, I didn't, I didn't, totally forgot his third baseman, but he was, so like, who was he? I mean, the other great third baseman at the time were, like, Beltray, David Wright was, was pretty good, A-Rod... Right? I mean, like, other than that, Longoria was pretty good back then. So I guess he was, like, right around that tier, but the first base period of the career really derailed him for me. Yeah,
0: totally.
1: Um, All right, so with the fourth pick, I had this guy third on my board, and I'm almost certain that um, this was the guy you were debating over. um, Mm -hmm. It's Troy Tulewitzki. and exactly. And Tulo, um, again, like, he peaked... I mean, he was, like, considered the best shortstop in the league for a few years. And once he got to Toronto, which that trade was... I remember that trade was so weird because they didn't need another bat. They needed pitching that year. And they <clears throat> traded for Tulowitzki and it was... I mean, he had—he was having a good year at that point, but he was still never the player he was earlier. So Tulo, his career's over with the Yankees for a little bit last year for five games. That was fun, I guess. Um and but just like in terms of it was hard for me to put him third because his games played is just insane it's 155 then 101 then 151 122 143 47 126 91 and then by that point he wasn't really good anymore so it didn't really matter but um i had him third because his peak was insane he had five he had six five win years he had one that was 4.9 wins um on fangraphs um five time all star two time gold glove I think course playing in course field really hurt him a lot. I think people don't perceive especially in the in the Sierra Metris community I mean in terms of course field people don't really know how to to determine how good these players are because of the the uh, ballpark, but I mean his peak was as high as probably as as braun really in my opinion
2: I mean I was sitting there thinking of the peak between braun and Tulo. And maybe it was just the way that he was advertised. I always thought of growing up that Tulo was the better player, you know. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the numbers, and it didn't really—it was much closer than, or maybe even in Braun's favor than I ever thought. But Tulo was the face of Western baseball when they used to actually run baseball segments on ESPN. I mean, it felt like he was on there every night, whether it be with like with a big homer, with a web gem. He was supposed to be the next Derek Jeter. I remember all my friends were clamoring that. One day, Tulo was going to be a Yankee, and he'd be the next great Yankee shortstop after Jeter left, and obviously, the timelines on that didn't work up between Tulo's injuries, his peak declining, and Jeter staying much longer than anyone really anticipated, but Tulo was one hell of a ball player, and um, I guess Trevor's Story right now is kind of getting the opposite treatment, where he's a Colorado shortstop putting up outstanding numbers, and I don't know if that has anything to do with Tulo and the way Tulo fell off a cliff so fast, but he's not getting, I guess, what he deserved, and where maybe Tulo was a little overhyped
1: at the time. I was going to say that. I was going to say Trevor Story is very similar to him in that they're both shortstops. Story is a great defender, and maybe not the same bat as Tulo was, but similar. Tulo, I remember when he, in regards to the Derek Jeter thing, when he, he was injured, and, like, he was injured a lot, obviously, but it was one year that he was, like, very hurt, and he sat out for a long time, and... He went to a Yankee game to like, it was, I think it was Jeter's last year. and I think he wanted to see Jeter play. Um, and he like was in the stands watching the game. And the Yes Network had him, you know, on the camera being like, is this the next Yankee shortstop? It could be, you know. Um, and if, you know, it turns out he did play for the Yankees, but when he was terrible and hurt. And yeah. I mean, you know, it's sad because his career peaked at 30. Like, that's just so—that's that's pretty young. I mean, I know that's when decline generally starts, but for a player— so much faster. Yeah, and especially for a player at his caliber, you'd think that it would be a more like gradual, steady decline, and he just fell off a cliff. But at his peak, um, very few could dispute him as the best shortstop in baseball.
2: Absolutely, and I think the real uh, kick in the nuts for Rockies fans is that his replacement at the time ended up being Jose Reyes— that was an absolute disaster. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: he was a uh, part of the the net back from that uh, Toronto Blue Jays trade, right? And he didn't work in Toronto. He didn't work in Colorado. And, you know, they're they're very lucky to have a good shortstop and story now to make this hurt a lot less because Troy Tulowitzki is truly a you know what could have been player. And right. uh, imagine if Tulo never really fell off his peak. They had Young Arenado, Charlie Blackman, DJ Lemayu. I mean, you start with that cu- with that core right there. That would have been. That would've been something, and then those Rockies teams were already pretty damn good.
1: Yeah, I mean, and if you combine yeah. the pitching that they have now, which took a step back last year, but a lot of people like Herman Marquez and Kyle Freeland was a really good pitcher in twenty eighteen. Um, I mean, you know, I hope you, know. you don't
2: say John Gray. I think John Gray is fucking terrible.
1: Oh, I, I mean John Gray. I mean again, one of those guys that regressed a lot. Um, I mean, he strikes out a lot of players, so I don't know.
2: He did have that fourteen strikeout game, I think it was, and. Uh, he looked unhittable that night, but I swear, every other time I watch that guy pitch, it is just terrible.
1: <laughs> All right, so who you got with the fifth pick now? The
2: fifth pick. All right, so originally this would be the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, so this pick here does not have the wins above replacement type of uh, ranking, I guess that you would see for the. Re- I-, I guarantee you, this guy is further down your board, but I think he's going to put together another two or three years of really good baseball and continue to produce, put up numbers and make his career into a real nice career maybe end up somewhere around that like 35, 40 war mark. And uh, that's Michael Brantley.
1: Ooh. Okay. Tell me about Brantley.
2: So Brantley is the youngest player um, of all the guys we're looking at in this draft, at least in terms of debut. Uh, I think he was drafted at 17, if I remember correctly. And he's, a guy who gets a lot of slack for being injured all the time. If you look at his career, he was really just injured for a year and a half, and he's back to being a real steady baseball player. Games played 114, 149, 151, 156, 137. Then he has this blip here with uh, Cleveland, 11 and 90. And now he's made three straight All Star teams from 2017 to 2019, and with the last two years over 140 games played each. Um, so if you're watching the game of baseball today, he's one of the best contact hitters in baseball, but he also walks a fair amount. I mean, the guy's got a 372 on base percentage. Um, he's probably the most undersung star on Houston's team right now, except maybe George Springer. I don't think George Springer gets enough credit for how good he really is. Yeah. But looking at like even the just the most basic stats, he plays what I believe to be an acceptable outfield. Um, he's, you know, he had 22 homers last year and 90 RBIs hitting 311, 372. If he's hitting in the one or two hole, you're pretty damn happy. If you're Houston, they're going to have him for a couple more years. And these are all, it looks like sustainable numbers to me. Like I said, I'm not looking at all the same stuff that you are, but I don't see a reason why this guy would suddenly decline. I think he'll have a long, slow decline and a really, you know, good career. If he can put up three to four war seasons from here on out.
1: Yeah. Um, and In that vein, he put up three and a half, three point seven, 3.7 baseball reference wins in 2018, 4.8 last year. And I I did have him lower on my list because um, of the injuries. And, I mean, again, you're right. He was only injured for, like, two years, really. Um, But even in the the years that he wasn't injured, he put up one crazy good year where he had seven wins above replacement. And then a few solid years, 3, 3, 3, 3.8, 3.8. which is great. I mean, he finished third in MVP voting. I did not realize that in 2014. Um,
2: yeah, his peak was you know not as high as the other guys we've you know, mentioned today. But this dude can play. He can bowl.
1: Yeah, and he, you know, he's still young, which is another thing that I didn't really realize. Maybe I, gave him, I didn't give him enough credit on, on my ranking. But um, in terms of like his career to date and his total body of work, it isn't as impressive as some of the guys I had above him. But I agree, I mean, you're talking about a guy who struck out 10% of the time. That was in the top 2% of the league this year. Walks 8% of the time, so he's basically making contact or getting on base almost all the entire, the entire time. Um, his exit loss numbers are fine, his um, ex-WOBA is, is good, especially the last two years. So I, I agree that like he really is a guy that is just steady and stable. I mean, I guess I guess if I was projecting forward and we were doing this three years from now, he'd be a guy that would be much higher on my list because, I mean, the injuries are putting down his wins above replacement number, but um, he didn't have that many wins um, in terms of value um, to put him above some of the other guys. But I like that pick.
2: Right. I think he'll be serviceable for at least a couple more years, and we, when it's all said and done, he'll be one of the better players of this draft. He's one of the few guys that I'm looking at this list here who really has... He's the only guy, in my opinion, who's got like a significant amount left in the tank outside of McCutcheon.
1: So I had him 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. I am 10th on my board, but I think I was being a little harsh. I probably, if I had to redo it, I think I'd move him up to 8th, because um, now I look at it and I have two guys above him that I'm just kind of shocked that I have him above him, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, definitely he's going to be there for a while, and he's a solid hitter. and um, I think he could definitely use a transition to DH. I mean, his outfield numbers recently have been um, pretty horrible, Um, but I guess it doesn't. I mean, when you can hit like that, I mean, it kind of takes that value, but it's fine. Um, All right, so now with the, what are we on? Six now?
2: We are at six. This is hypothetical Toronto. (laughs) All
1: right, Toronto. So Toronto's going to get Brett Gardner here. and,
2: okay, I had the same exact thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I had him fourth on my board, and out of all the players that I had, he's the guy that has been the most consistent. Like, he had one year where he was injured, but other than that, he's put up stellar numbers. His defense has been exemplary. He's also, like, if we're going to talk about Emotionals. I mean, like about how I feel about the guy <laughs> personally. I love Brett Gardner. We have to talk about that
2: because I fucking hate this
1: guy. Oh, you hate Brett Gardner because you know people I hate, hate Brett people hate Brett Gardner because he's like bald and he tries really hard. But that's what I love about him.
2: Yeah, he looks
0: like
1: my toe. <laughs> he's he definitely has got that thumb look to him. Not gonna lie, but um, <laughs> I mean the value he has forty two wins above replacement on Baseball Reference, which for Reference is I think four higher, or no, more than that, a lot more high, like fourteen higher than Brantley does at this point. Um, right. He had a seven-win season in 2010, which I didn't. I didn't know that stuff back Did then. Really? Yeah. 2010. Yeah. Um, he was even an
2: all-star that year. That's insane.
1: Yeah, he was fantastic that year. Um, he didn't even have great offense. It's really a lot of his value has been on defense and base yeah. running, and that's fine. I mean. But if you're going to get a guy who doesn't get hurt, right? His games played are insane. He hasn't played under 140 games since 2012.
2: 2012.
1: And before that, he had 159 games, 150 games. His OPS Plus have been almost always above average, except for two years. Um, do you
2: have his WRC numbers on uh, on hand? I'm curious.
1: Um, I have his OPS Plus, but let me, let me get them up. Hold on.
2: Do you like OPS Plus more than WRC?
1: No, I do WRC Plus, but I'm just looking at... Um, Baseball reference, because I prefer their war over Fangraph's war for position players. Um, But his WRC Plus career is 104. Last year was 115. And his base running numbers have been all above average in his entire career, which is expected because he's super fast and he seems like a very smart base runner. Um, Mm -hmm. So another guy who is just so consistent. I mean, his war numbers have been so consistently above average Five wins one year, six wins one year. Last year he had 3.6 wins, which is very good for the seventh best hitter on the Yankee team, eighth best hitter on the Yankee team. Um, mm-hmm. And he had 28 home runs last year. Like, I mean, I know the ball was totally juiced, which is fair, a fair argument, <laughs> but 28 home runs, short porch, I understand it all. But still, um, Brett Gardner is a guy who I, I just absolutely love Brett Gardner as a Yankees fan.
2: Yeah, so as a Mets fan, all my Yankee fans, like friends, love this guy, which has always given me just a genuine distaste for him. Um, I ranked him at six, which I think isn't severely underrating him, especially for probably how I underrate him when I talk about him. I thought that was um, not generous, but I also didn't look into some of his earlier seasons and how good he really was. Um, Part of my ranking for this was... I'm thinking: Is if he's on another team, how good are these late years? if He's not on this Yankee team, where he's surrounded by talent. He, like you said, he's he's in the smaller ballpark. But even with all that being said, great defender, smart baseball player, continuously puts up his type of season. Uh, he hasn't made the adjustments to over swinging, mm-hmm. any sort of thing like that. He's 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 a real quality ball player. Uh, any team for the last ten years. I think would have benefited from having Brett Gardner on their team. And uh, I really think the Yankees have done a good job retaining him. When a lot of people think, like, we're looking at his base stats, like this year he had 251, and you look at all, you know, the stuff you see in the paper, nothing crazy. Mm. He doesn't really look like a uh, shining baseball player, but he's been the heart and soul of this team for a couple years now, uh, just in terms of what I would assume to be locker room presence, and especially from the fan side. I mean, he is universally loved by Yankees fans.
1: Absolutely. Like the most loved player for sure. Um, and you know, the other thing that's great about him is that he adjusted to his ballpark where, you know, earlier in his career, when he probably had a little more power when he was like 27 than he is when he's 35, but right. he adjusted to the, to the ballpark and realized, you know, if I lift the ball a little more, I'm going to get a lot more home runs off that short portion. Right. And so his defense, again, like you said, really, really solid. Two outs above average last year, he had four and four in twenty and 2017. Um, a really solid player, and it's just like that's why I, I loved about putting. That's why I put him fourth. I had him in the same tier as Tulowitzki because I was de- I was I wasn't really debating him over Tulo. But you're talking about consistent years where he was never mm-hmm. a he was never a below average player. You know you can't say that for almost every single guy on the list, and so I had him in that tier with Tulo, ranked fourth.
2: And so what I really like about uh, Brett Garner's career, looking at it. I was impressed if you look from the year he was injured in 2012. So you start there, and you go from 2013 on. It appears that he's become a significantly more disciplined hitter in that time. I know, like, his batting average goes down. His on-base percentage is below his career uh, average at this point. But he's striking out less. A lot of those years are increased walks until this year, which, again, may have had to do with, um, you know, the juice ball, he knows that he doesn't have to get as good a contact to put it out. Maybe that was a little mental thing. He's made strides to make sure he's a viable player year in and year out, and that's impressive coming from veteran ball player in a time where veteran players aren't getting contracts.
1: Um, all right, so who got with the seventh pick?
2: Um, so the next one, seven, into the hypothetical Rockies slash my team, uh, I'm going to go with Justin Upton.
1: That was my next pick.
2: All righty. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page there. Um, (laughs) I I don't love Justin Upton. I really don't. But his peak, and by his peak, I mean really like his age 23 season, I think it was. (laughs) How old was he? Yep, his age 23 season in Arizona. Uh, When he was in Arizona when he was young, I mean, I was thinking he was going to be a generational stud. I thought he was going to put up consistent numbers play a Beltron type center field and be good for years and years and years to come. And now he's kind of relegated to just being a DH. He never really lived up to it. I mean, he was voted fourth for MVP in 2011. He got moral service in, uh, what year was that? 2014 when he was in Atlanta, he was good in Atlanta too. He spanked us a little bit. He was uh, not a fun player to watch for the Braves if you're a Mets fan. Um, but once he started bouncing around a little bit, his career felt like it declined. I know he got hurt last year, so maybe it's a little bit more of a recency bias because when you look at his games played from 2008 to 2018, he was on the field quite a bit. Yeah,
1: he never missed time um, ever.
2: Yeah, which is which is why I'm surprised that I'm disappointed at the overall body of work. And I think that really does... I mean, I, I, I can't pull... I'm just thinking of it now. I remember he was in a trade rumor. I'm thinking around probably 2013 deadline or probably before that 2012 deadline and at the time he's 24 he's coming off an all-star year um he's coming off an mvp fourth year and people are talking about trading the farm for this guy from arizona because those arizona teams weren't great and he just never lived up to what i expect him to be i thought he was going to be a Perennial All Star. Not that four is anything to scoff at, but I thought it'd be year in and year out. This guy'd be on the All Star team and considered to be one of the best outfielders in baseball.
1: Yeah, his his hitting numbers were somewhat erratic. I mean, he was always above average basically until last year, but he was hurt. Nothing on the defensive end that gives you any type of. I mean, he's not a good defender. I don't know if he was any better when he was younger. It seems like he wasn't from what I'm looking at, um, but. I mean, the offense was, like, always there, high strikeout guy. Um, he didn't, you know, it's weird. He actually struck out the two years that he, or the one year he raked in Arizona in 2011. He only struck out 18% of the time, and then it jumped to 19, and then it's been in the high 20s ever since.
2: Yeah, you notice that. I mean, in just base numbers, he's going from 120s to 160, 170, one, near one, 180 twice. I mean, 179 and 180, but... Mm-hmm. Clearly, he changed his approach at the plate, and I guess you can argue if it's for the better or worse.
1: I mean, let's see. Defensively, was... No, he was really never good defensively. He put up 10 defensive runs in 2017 for some reason. Um, other than that, he's been pretty shitty in, the, in at the outfield. And
2: you look at his crew now, being an angel, you see the players that they're going to have to DH, whether that's holes this year... Potentially Shohei Otani, who's got more offensive upside at this point. I just don't foresee him for the rest of his career, even though he's only 31. He is actually very young. I said earlier that Michael Brantley uh, debuted at 19. I was thinking of Justin Upton from past research. And I just don't think he has much left in the tank for a 31-year-old.
1: Let's see about his his exit velocity numbers, which last year, I, got, I think last year he was really hurt because his exit loss numbers went down a lot, but... Um, he was
2: and he only played 63 games too
1: yeah um I get I mean you know what I think he could be a serviceable bat serviceable bat for sure and I think back in the day I mean like you're talking about a guy who was I mean him and him and his brother were both I mean I mean being a Yankees fan and watching um, Bj slash Melvin Upton well um,
2: raised baseball actually
1: yeah, you know how it is like seeing him <laughs> in the outfield roaming the outfield and his swing also was beautiful just like his brothers actually.
2: It is um, a gorgeous swing. It's a highlight-worthy swing.
1: Definitely. It's a big, bad-flip swing. Um, I mean, when they were both, like, in the league and they were both peaking, it was like, these guys are going to be the next two best, like, siblings to ever be in the league. And then Melvin really fell off a cliff. He wasn't very good. His career ended pretty early. And Justin, I mean, I mean gotta give credit where credit's due here. I mean, he had a solid stretch of really good years. He made a ton of money. He's... He's hella wealthy. He's got a hundred thirty million dollars from baseball salary. Um,
2: oh, he's got his bag. He's Hold got.
1: On. He secured it, dude. He secured his bag, easy. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, I, I again, like one of those guys where the defense isn't there. The offense was there, but not. I mean, it was. I mean, I'm, uh, I'll give credit. He had really good offensive numbers, but um, his and again, only thirty-one. I feel like he's kind of reached the end in terms of definitely in the outfield he's done. But, I mean, that injury, I feel like I'm worried because it seems like he's just his his whole thing is about exit velocity and power, and an injury like that, just, I feel like, can derail it really easily.
2: Yeah, I agree. I pretty much echo everything you said there. And I guess a, a lot of my negativity toward Justin Huffington is I'm coming through his numbers again, and he was offensively talented. I probably, I guess I can't really say I, I underrated him just because I was ahead of him mentally I underrated him probably compared to the rest of the field at large but we are talking about a guy who went number one overall in his draft in 2005 the expectation is there and did he meet number one overall expectation if you're looking at his career through 2015 maybe you can say so Uh, the last four years just I know he made one all-star team in that time I'm just yeah it's a little lackluster
1: I guess I mean Again, looking at the, I was looking at the names in the draft, and a lot of them, like the top ten picks, you actually, I, I had no idea who they were. So, baseball drafts are that weird, like that, where guys can just be really shitty, and you might not know it when you're drafting them. But, I guess, I mean, I guess Upton's career has been, um, pretty healthy. So,
2: yeah, I, it definitely wasn't a miss. It wasn't a miss on the pick. Yeah, and uh, we should probably go back and eventually look and see who, because uh, he, he was traded to Atlanta, correct? Or did he sign there?
1: He was traded to Atlanta. He was traded to
2: Atlanta. Yeah, I'm curious what they got back for that.
1: He was also traded for uh, for Max Freed when he went to the to the Padres. Interesting.
2: Yes,
1: yeah, so they got Max Freed in that trade. That's interesting. Eighth pick. This is going to be a guy who I feel like you may have even just totally forgotten about. He's a reliever. Do you know who I'm gonna say?
2: I think so because I do have one reliever on my board, but I have him at twelve and I actually think he's probably warranted going this high due to his success, but well, let's see if we are talk about the same
1: guy. Yeah, so I had Sergio Romo 7th on my board. And
2: okay, I think that's a good pick.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was looking at it, and I was thinking, I mean, a lot of what I was doing, just because it's hard to, to know how good guys were, I just looked at war for a lot of it, but for relievers, you can't really do that. So what I did is I looked at every reliever from 2008 to 2019, which is when he started his career, minimum 300 innings pitched, and his numbers... Are similar to uh, Joe Nathan when Joe Nathan was still okay. Jonathan Uh, Jonathan Papelbon when he was okay. Uh, Sean Doolittle and David Robertson and Romo like he closed out some big games for the for the Giants in their World Series time. Um, Oh,
2: he's a three time champion. He's one of the few players on all three of those teams.
1: Yeah, I mean that's he's. I don't even remember when he got when he left the. The Giants, but that's a that's like a legend in Giants. He's a legend, right?
2: In, Gi- in Giants fandom, he's absolutely a legend.
1: He had so. What's I'm going to refer to a stack called Sierra, and Sierra is called is known for uh, skill interactive ERA. And oh,
2: he's a lot better than I thought. of, not to interrupt you, but my goodness,
1: yeah, he's. I mean, he's a guy who was always one of the best relievers in baseball and extremely consistent. So uh, Sierra. It factors in ground ball rate and it also factors in strikeouts and walks and all that stuff. But ground ball rate's like the, um, the little kink in the armor of that of that statistic, which is why I like it a lot. It has a lot of predictive value, a lot of um, uh, predictive. And then there's the one... Oh, Oh, um, shit. <laughs> predictive.
2: I can't help you out. I'm not too familiar with Sierra.
1: Point is, it's oh descriptive. It's it's predictive and it's descriptive, and Uh, His Sierra was 2.76 from that time, and that's higher than Nathan, Glenn Perkins, Roberto Osuna, um, Mark Melanson, um, Will Harris. And, I mean, that's kind of expected, but then you look at his FIP. His FIP is 3.08, which is really good. Um, Again, similar to guys like Papelbon and David Robertson, uh, Will Smith. So, and, I mean, Romo is like a guy who... More than most relievers, you can point out if you're not like a statistics guy, you can you just know him because he struck out Miguel Cabrera to win the World Series on like this pitch right down the middle. Which, uh, if you go back and watch the tape, that pitch was right down the middle, and Cabrera just looked at it. Um, and uh, yeah, I just I'm a big Sergio Roma fan.
2: I mean, you look at that 2012 World Series against Detroit. We're talking about a guy. He only had to come in three times. It was a shorter series, of course, but he didn't allow a single run and he didn't allow a single hit and he didn't walk anyone in three appearances, wow. three full innings on the game's biggest stage. And he, re- looking at his postseason pitching numbers, he's really only got one blip, which inflates his numbers given the sample size. And that's his first ever postseason series against Atlanta. And he got the win in that game. He blew the save. But, um, I definitely think this is a good pick. I think he's still serviceable. Um, he had a stint for the Rays for a while where he wasn't too awful. And he was truly elite on those Giants teams, having ERA under three for his career as a long-term reliever. I guess I didn't value him as high because he hasn't been a closer for as long. Uh, once he kind of left that initial closer's role, he never really got it back. And
1: the other thing is that he, unlike a lot of these guys who are at the top of their lever board, and for good reason, like Earl is Chapman and... Billy Wagner and Craig Kimbrell, he threw like 89 miles per hour max, and he was a heavy slider guy. Um, He threw like 60% sliders, 50% sliders. And I know the last year on the Yankees in 2018 was with the Rays, um, and he wasn't great that year, but he gave the Yankees so many fits on these sliders that would just fall out of the zone to lefties and would go into righties. I love that about him that he doesn't throw hard and he still is really effective because you don't see that too much nowadays. Um, And his numbers, again, like consistent across the board. He didn't have a fit below, above four until 2017. So that was about nine years of really good pitching. Um, I mean,
2: for any reliever, given how volatile they are, that is very impressive.
1: Yeah, I mean, he had, and then from 2009 to 2013, he had FIPS under three, ERAs almost exclusively under 2. Um, not that I look at ERA much, but um, those numbers are just really solid. And I had him at uh, three, four, five. 4, I had him 7th because... And I had him over guys like Alex Gordon and I had him at Brantley because I know relievers are extremely volatile. That's like the thing with relievers is that one year they can be great and the next they they might not be great. But Romo has been, again, consistent for a long time. And... A note on the whole consistency thing, because I've been touching on that a lot, is that Mike Trout obviously is the best player in baseball, but it goes to show more that in a sport like basketball, having the best player is much more valuable than it is in baseball because you need eight other hitters, you need a whole pitching staff versus basketball when you only have set ten other guys on the team, really, and only four other on the court with you. So it's I, I prefer the consistent guys that maybe didn't peak as high, but... Um, we're just consistent because it's important to have a guy that you can go to for year after year after year that you know is just going to get the job done, won't fuck everything up, is solid.
2: I completely echo what you said there. I mean, he's a solid ball player. Just like I said to uh, Gardner earlier, every single team in baseball over the last 10 years would have been a better team with Sergio Romo on the team.
1: So you had Roma, at, what do you say, 12th?
2: I had him at 12, and... Um, yeah, the way we went into it there, I definitely think I underrated him, especially compared to the guys I have ahead of him. Because the guys I have ahead of him are a couple of them are really nothing to write home about. My next guy on my board at number eight. Um, again, I really don't, <laughs> I really don't like this player. But if we're going for a flash in the pan team of greatness here. His peak was incredibly high. You know him damn well. Yeah. Uh, his name is Jacoby Ellsbury. One, I'd really love to know how the hell he hit 32 homers in 2011. Yeah. Looking at the rest of his career, I just it, it's almost unbelievable. You know, I, I liked him because I, I, I'm thinking of when you have these players during his peak. This is a player who is not an average ball player, but is a well above average ball player. And he's putting numbers in on the defensive end or on the base pads that I guess you don't really see nowadays. You're looking at a guy who can set the table. He's got 50 stolen bases, 70 stolen bases, 52 stolen bases. Those guys really don't exist anymore outside of the Malik Smith and D. Gordons of the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Except he did it while hitting 301. He's getting on base, you know, 34% of the time. Uh, he led the league in total bases one year, which coming from a center fielder is pretty damn impressive. Yeah. And obviously, his career had just been completely thrown in the shitter for his stint with the Yankees and how unproductive it was outside of that first year he was there. Um, But for those who remember him playing in Boston, he was a special player for a few years there. And I remember a lot of Red Sox fans were upset. I mean, obviously, that he was going to the Yankees. They had already lost Johnny Damon to the Yankees in terms of center fielders in their recent history. They didn't like how that went. And uh, I guess luckily for Boston's, Boston fans, he kind of shit the bed once he got to New York. But that shouldn't take away from the overall body of work that he put together when he was young in Boston.
1: Yeah, uh, the year that he hit, what, 35 home runs or something? He had his yeah. ground ball rate fell like six percentage points, which I guess is good. His line drive weight went up about the same six percentage points. Um, and then from there, it kept going back up, basically. I guess that has something to do with it. I, I, I'd have no idea how he hit that many home runs. I, that's a great. It's, it's a big mystery in baseball. Um, while stealing, uh, some, thir- I'm sure
2: some people think it's juice, but honestly, even if you just start juicing one year, there's no shot.
1: <laughs> I mean, he had 30. He had 32. So it's not like it was an insane number, but he hit his career high until then was nine home runs in a season, which is insane. Um, again, like that one year, you can't.
2: I mean, that's. That's 31 percent of his career home runs came in two thousand eleven. That's pretty wild.
1: <laughs> it is wild. I mean, it goes to show that you could have one good year and get a lot of money from it. Um, the year that so the year that he signed the Yankees, the year before he had he had a really good year. Actually, he had um, five wins, um, but he was not the hitter that he was back two thousand eleven. So um, I don't know. That year is weird because. Thirty-two home runs, then four, then nine, sixteen, seven, nine, and seven—just terrible. Um, <laughs> and hor- I mean, the I mean, Yankee fans, I feel Ooh bad for him because like now they're trying to get his contract. Some- they're trying to do something with his contract where like he is not following the medical terms of it, and he's like getting outside sourcing. The Yankees are trying to like get that contract out of there because I think it's in there for another year or two. Um, but, um. He was, he's like one of those last guys where he was so fast and they would send him on first base and he would steal a ton of bases. Um, and so, I mean, I, he was a guy that when I was on the Red Sox, I was scared to watch him play. He was like Pedroya, one of those guys, like all the hard-nosed guys, those guys scare me because they can change the game in so many ways. Um, I mean, he stole 70 bags one year, 50, 52, like insane numbers. But after that one good year he had he had maybe two good years after that and then he got hurt. Yankees were done with his shit and he hasn't had a year over two wins since then, so
2: The one thing I always gave him credit for was that he was not a big strikeout guy. He put his ball on the bat and let his speed go to work and really played to his strengths well. Um I didn't watch him a lot as a Yankee. No one did, to be honest, but yeah. um you know. I didn't. He, he's a he's a fine ball player and uh yeah, you know, I, I do think it's interesting. The Yankees are trying to avoid his contract. I honestly tend to believe it could be Lowry, or, um See, you got me talking about injury-prone players. I'm thinking Joe Lowry. Uh, I could think it's Ellsbury's fault. I really wouldn't be surprised if he actually violated his contract because he has he hasn't seen the field in two full seasons. Would be three this year. I some people claim he was shadow forced into retirement, but. I just don't think this dude can walk anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, no one hears from him. He's like, no one knows where he is. It's one of those Dude, he's things. not
2: on social media. It's crazy. <laughs> he's nowhere.
1: Dude, big red flag. He's not on social media. That's a big red flag for <laughs> for anyone. <laughs> um,
2: exactly. You can't trust
1: a guy like that. Yeah, I cannot trust a guy like that. Um, his defensive numbers were pretty solid in center field. He had 13 defensive runs saved in 2008. Then he had negative 15 in 2009 for whatever reason. What? It's weird. That's a weird change right there. Um,
2: That's like a Harper-esque change after his MVP year. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah. Completely opposite on the spectrum. And then two nine two thirteen negative three, and then fine, I guess from there. But um, and I guess that shows a little bit about defensive stability and statistics there. But um, still, a guy that was gr- like one of the best players in his peak. I mean, no one. He had a higher WAR than McCutcheon ever did in one full season. All right. Next player. This is Alex Gordon, and Alex Gordon's a guy who is the defensive, like like one of the best defensive outfielders in recent memory. Um, And it's interesting because he was never that fast also, which I thought was very interesting, but he had a few really good years. He had a 140 WRC plus in 2011, then 126, then 104, 120, 122, and his war numbers in that time were excellent. I mean, when you're putting up six wins, five wins, four and a half, five and a half, um, for four straight seasons, that puts you in a in a tier of like really elite players. Um, again, he's a guy that peaked at his peak was fantastic and then dropped off a cliff from there. Um, his hitting really has dropped off a cliff. I think injuries had to do with it. Um, but tell me about Gordon because I know that you know when he played the Mets in the World Series, he was one, probably the best player on that team.
2: Yeah. Um... <sighs> I hated that Royals team. That Royals team, you are talking about hard-nosed players. Every single one of those guys is not a superstar. They're all hard-nosed players who yeah. love putting their bat on the ball and just play the game the right way. Every single player in that lineup was a tough out. You're looking at Locaine. You're looking at Mustakis. Uh, I know Hosmer is just not a good player anymore by definition. Hosmer was good that year. And uh, Alex Gordon was, you know, their Ryan Zimmerman, a guy who was the face of their franchise, brought them from the dirt mm-hmm. into the competitive light and being that was the uh, epitome of my playoff baseball experience, I knew in a big spot I did not want to see Alex Gordon up. Just the way the script writes itself, he was always the guy I was scared of getting a big hit. And um, in 2015, honestly, in that World Series, he played like crap. Um, but he's overall just a really solid player. You're talking about a guy that's won how many gold gloves? Eight? I mean, they're very... Wow. No, seven, seven. Yeah, yeah, there are very few outfielders in general who can put together that kind of season. I'm curious if he won any while he was in the infield. I don't, I don't remember how long he spent in the infield.
1: In the infield? Was he in the infield?
2: I Why do I remember him being a yeah, left fielder in third baseman? Now I'm curious. If you can dig into that, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I'm curious when so, he stopped playing third base.
1: Let's see. Third base. So he stopped playing third base in 2010. Um... When he And he that. won his
2: first gold glove the year after. Very yeah. interesting.
1: Yeah, makes sense, I guess. Um, his defensive numbers were insane. 20 defense runs saved, 24, 15, 22. And then once outs above average came around, still pretty good. Last year, he was not good. Last year, he was actually pretty terrible in left field.
2: That's funny, because he won the gold glove. <laughs> he
1: won the gold glove this year? Yep,
2: 2019, he won a gold glove. What? Oh, my
1: God, that's terrible. It's
2: purely off reputation, which I feel like is how gold glove works.
1: Yeah, all those bullshit, you know, Silva Slugger and shit, those are all off-reputation, I feel like. Yeah. But his defensive numbers definitely have fallen off, can't hit anymore. But another guy who was – he was drafted by the Royals. He was second overall pick in this draft. And, I mean, at his peak was insane. I mean, consistent and insane. And then it dropped off significantly. Um, he still, still won a World Series, which, I mean, you can't take that away from him. And he made a ton of money. 109 million uh, to date. That's crazy Um, For a guy who I mean, I guess he deserved it I mean they kind of paid him at the worst time they paid him when he wasn't good anymore they had him for his good years they probably should have traded him at that point or something, but um, It's funny. They sign they they let everyone go except for him. They let Kane go. They let Hosmer go, which is fair Um, Moustakis, I'd probably take Moustakis over him now even
2: um, I would take Misakis over him right now, and I, I think of the group, Low is probably the most valuable. All
1: right, well, Jack, you got anything last? Any last words you want to say? Maybe um, a little Mets, some Mets thoughts before you leave.
0: Um,
2: yeah, I'm gonna run you through, run you through to my two favorite baseball trivia questions at the end, Ooh. and uh, I'll give you a Mets nugget or two. Um, So, Jeff McNeil played Fernando Tatis Jr. in MLB 2020, the show, last night. It was a riveting matchup, Uh, Jeff McNeil, actually, so they only played three innings. But he tied the game in the third, a.k.a. the bottom of the ninth, Uh uh, with three runs. And then he was forced to go deep into his bullpen and play Ioannis Cespedes at shortstop. (sighs) And eventually, (laughs) Fernando Tatis Jr. took a lead that was uh, too much for him to come back on. Outside Wait, how, that,
1: how did they... They played three innings, and he had to go to his... he had to, How did he have to put in his...
2: What? So, I think... I'm not a big show player, but for some reason, I think you play three innings. You, like, start out with much less starter energy, where they only go, like, one or two innings. Uh, and it's very common for these games to go to extra innings. Right. And the relievers are really only good for one inning. Yeah. How, so, I mean, how, how many innings, innings did they play? I think they played five. So, I know... After DeGrom, I'm pretty sure he went to Lugo. After Lugo, I think he went to Paul Seawold. Paul Seawold's an underrated player. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, It was very interesting watching Jeff McNeil. And uh, Fernando Tatis is as electric off the field as he is on the field. Uh, When Jeff McNeil's player, like actual Jeff McNeil in the game, came up, Tatis just beamed him. It was pretty funny. (laughs) 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 And... um, his celebration to win the game or he I, i'm pretty sure he hit a bomb at machado to win the game it was uh exciting to watch and i'm really excited to see machado play as soon as possible hmm. but i'll go into the uh the trivia questions for you all right so my first one which is not my favorite one i'll save my favorite for last oh, is, i actually saw this one today oh, and that's... i thought it was a real good nugget in 1979, the Kansas City Royals drafted two Hall of Famers. Who were they? Uh,
1: is George Brett one of them? No. Get, I, need, I need a little something more. Give me a hint. Um, I need position. One of them
2: is, I believe, fourth all-time in passing yards.
1: Oh, <laughs> okay. I was like, <laughs> wait, the, what?
2: <laughs> and the other one is also a Super Bowl champion.
1: All right, fourth all-time pass. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so I'm going to go Elway.
2: Okay, and?
1: He is Super Bowl champion. Can you give me what team or uh, position?
2: Uh, one second, make sure it was Elway. I'm like 99% positive. I just don't want to say the wrong thing. Yeah, so one was John Elway. Okay. But he's not the one who's fourth all-time passing.
1: Oh, okay. Um. Uh, Peyton was if too... I give you
2: the team, it's going to be too obvious.
1: Okay, so Peyton's too young. Um, Brady, obviously, no. Yeah, we're
2: talking about 1979 here, so you got to think of some of those great super teams you can dig back and think of their quarterback.
1: So is it uh, Joe Montana?
2: No, it was Dan Marino. Oh,
1: fuck. I didn't know he played baseball.
2: I didn't either. I saw that uh, from a tweet. I wish I could source the tweet so they get a little credit. I thought that was super cool. That is cool. And um, it's funny because it's not like the Kansas City Chiefs had a single standout quarterback until Pat Mahomes up until these last few years. Right. So it probably would have been a real good meme in the baseball community if we could have used that the last couple of years.
1: Have you seen um, the Have you seen ni- the 1984 draft, the
2: 30-30? No, I have not. Oh, that's a like great I? or
1: 84, 82. I forget which. Maybe it's 86. I'm forgetting, but it was um, it was about how Elway didn't want to go to the Colts and he was threatening with signing with the Yankees. And then, eventually, and then eventually and he was like about and he was like basically he already signed with the Yankees and then the last minute the Broncos made a trade for him.
0: That's super Yeah, that
1: 30 for 30 is great because it has like all, because the uh, the agent for Marino and Elway is the same person and like he has all these just dis- like, dis- like written notes from that time about, like, what the fuck was happening and why Elway was threatening to leave for the Yankees, and it was really cool.
2: I'm going to have to give that one a watch. Definitely. I, I haven't seen many 30 for 30. I've heard some great things about them. Definitely going to catch up on that. But um, my second question, which I may have asked you this before. If you get the answer, I definitely asked you it because it is my favorite trivia question. Who was the last American League MVP who was a switch hitter?
1: Can I get a decade?
2: The 70s. Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> I don't
1: know. I'll say Reggie Jackson.
2: So the answer is Vita right blue. In 1971, I believe it was, the pitcher for the Oakland Athletics went 24-8, and um, was a fixture of those athletics teams that eventually won and beat the Mets in the World Series in 1973. There was no DH at the time, and he was actually a switch hitter.
1: Oh, so it's a trick question, is what you're telling me.
2: That's more or less a trick question, yeah. <laughs> but he did take a bet, and he was the last American League MVP who was a switch hitter. Oh,
1: that is very interesting, actually. I was thinking, yeah. like, I had no, I mean, I think you have asked me that before, but I actually just, I could never remember that name, Vita Blue. <laughs> um,
2: it's um, it's a tough question, and it's kind of shocking, I guess, that no switch hitter has ever been able to pull it off outside of a middle pitcher.
1: Yeah, it is weird. All right. Well, yeah, but outside
2: of that, Cam, thanks for having me on. I thoroughly enjoyed our uh, discussion here today, and you know, I really hope baseball comes back soon because I'm losing my mind.
1: I know, dude. I'm the same way. I'm I'm dying here. I'm cra- I, I told you I've been watching Neil Walker highlights. um, I'm dude, not, It's
2: worth it. Neil Walker's a beast.
1: I mean, I think now I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go to like fucking UNL Escobar highlights and. Next. Dude, Nate you...
2: McClough, I'm sure Jack Wilson, the old pirate second baseman, has quite the uh, collection of web gems. Um, it's like all out there.
1: Michael Kadire, you know, um, <laughs> Derek Lee, Aaron Hill. Like, just Derek
2: Lee is a baller. I'm a big Derek Lee fan.
1: Oh, yeah, Derek, he's a baller for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, dude. Well, hey, make those memes. Um, keep... Oh, that's
2: the first thing I'm doing. I'm dying to get off this phone, so I just immediately...
0: <laughs> f- yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I want every. Um, I want every reaction. I want all the memes to my to me as well. Um, oh, you'll get them
2: all.
1: I'm sure. I'm sure. If, I'm sure. Like Sanjay would appreciate them he had called yeah, that's not a problem he had called this like he's like yo oh, yeah dude I called this like years ago bro like for sure Yep, that was
2: actually a pretty damn good Sanjay impression if he actually listens to this I'm sure he'd be like no that's not what I said, but no. no that was
1: pretty spot on <laughs> oh dude my, my Sanjay impression is, is insane It's an I've I've gotten <laughs> lauded with it plenty of times and he loves it too he like he like loves it but he also low key hates it. he's like yeah no it's funny yeah it's funny, yeah, funny. <laughs> alrighty Cam have a
2: good night thanks for having me on I'll
1: talk to you soon. Thanks, dude. Peace. All
2: right, let's go Mets.
1: All right, that was Jack Dunn. That was a really good time. I'm glad we could redraft that pretty shitty draft. Honestly, we I probably should have picked a better one. Um, you know when you're picking Alex Gordon with like the seventh pick, you know something's wrong. Um but that was fun. Um I'm glad um he got to come on and I'm sure he'll be back on soon. So Again, thanks everyone for listening. This was the baseball version of the podcast. Um, Hopefully next week I'll have something on The Bachelor. I'm going to keep DMing those people. I'm not watching the new Bachelor show that's coming out tonight. I'm filming this on on Monday. I'm recording this on Monday. Um, It's the one about music. I don't know. I have no interest. I'm also kind of busy with work and shit. So not going to do anything about that. But I do hope The Bachelor comes on soon. I hope claire gets her chance to find love and whatever but um in the meantime i'll be trying to stay active and keep the podcast going so thank everyone for listening um and i'll see you guys soon thanks you
0: can call me stacy you can call me love you can call me baby and the you can call me late night and i'll be